crew, welcome back to the High People Podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for listening in. Your feedback and your comments are great. Keep them rolling in. Is there someone that you want to hear on the podcast? Dob them in. Let me know. Let's hear their stories. Or do you want to come on? I'd love to hear your story as well. As always, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, the Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Leave some stars. The feedback is always appreciated and really, really loved. So thank you. This week's episode is a really, really cool one. I'm a guy that I've known, I've played a bit of cricket with, whose life story took a really big change when he figured out that, you know what, I'm going to change up my career. And look, I won't get into it because we're going to talk about it, but resilience, taking a chance, walking through sliding doors, seeking opportunities has really put him in an awesome step. It's a really cool story. I can't wait to bring this one to you. So without further ado... This is the story of Daniel Donaldson. Well, our next guest uh, is an old friend of mine, I'm going to say. I've played cricket with him um, a lot. We sort of grew, uh, we're a part of the same NDs cricket club, the infamous NDs cricket club, and we've shared the pitch together. I don't think we've played against each other, but, you know, we we might come to that as well, but... He's had an awesome, um, I suppose, a little bit of a different change in life. And he messaged me after Chris Green's episode. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need to get you on the show and, and chat about your life. So it's my pleasure to uh, introduce Daniel Donaldson. And Donos, as I'm probably going to refer to you as throughout. But um, how are you, mate? It's good to have you on the High People Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Clates, thanks for having me. Um, now you've sort of said I messaged you after um, Chris Green had a podcast. I feel like I've got big big boots to fill now. So um, thanks for putting the mocker on me. <laughs> No, nah, no worries, mate. We're just going to have a little chat. And like I said, uh, Greeny was stuck in quarantine, so he had to talk to me. He literally had no other no other choice. So, And it was awesome to listen to back to some of his memories. And it was good, you know. We had some good uh, feedback from Greeny's episode. And particularly, I think what resonated with me with Greeny's episode is like, you're one of his really close mates. And, you know, I've played a lot of cricket with him. But seeing him, you know, succeed on the international scene is is awesome. And then and having that friendship. But... Not here to talk about Greeny because he gets enough. He gets enough publicity. We're gonna we're gonna go through, I suppose, your story um, and your life, and it, it has a beginning, Donnie's, I suppose. Uh, where were you born, mate? What was your what was your birthplace, and where did you grow up? Oh, yeah. Um, look, I was born in in Sandringham in Victoria in 1992. Um, spent a couple of years there and, and moved to sunny Brisbane uh, till about 19. 19- or 1994 roughly and then yeah moved moved to Sydney where I spent you know the rest of my life really until until moving to Alice Springs so um yeah been lucky enough to live in different parts of Australia and um yeah I guess grateful for every every place I've been able to live and be exposed to yeah what was the the reason for for moving around was it one of your your parents work or was it just you you were deciding just to move to different areas or what was the the I suppose the intention around moving from you know, Victoria yeah, it was, it to was, Sydney. Yeah, it was purely for um for dad's work. Um, so not that I would be able to have much of a say at that age, but um regardless of if I did have a say or not, yeah, dad couldn't exactly um you know was chasing opportunities for work and um family came with him and you know he was always able to balance work and family very well. But um yeah, as I said, extremely lucky to to be able to live in different parts of Australia and meet different people. Um, and yeah, wouldn't change it. Wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. 
yeah, I think it's awesome. Like, you know, a little bit of, I suppose my life I spent in Cooma in the country and, you know, having those memories and having those types of things is awesome. I think it helps you shape and gives you a bit of an identity and an understanding um, of the country. So when, when did you come to Sydney? Did you go to, to primary school um, in Sydney or were you in straight into high school and what, what schools did you go to? Um, so when I was in Sydney, I went to Gordon East Primary School, a uh, very little, um, little, small little primary school in, yeah, in Gordon. Um, so I went there from his one to five or one to four, I should say. And then, um, yeah, made the transition and went across to Knox Grammar Prep School. Um, did years five and six there and then, uh, seven to 12 at Knox Senior School. So yeah, that, that's my schooling journey in a nutshell. Awesome. Was, uh, was Dan Donaldson a, a good student or was he, uh, what was his, what was his focus? Was he, was he like a lot of the other boys who like loved to play sport and didn't really think of school or was he a good student? Yeah. Funny you ask that Clades, cause I, I do reflect on this a lot. So, um, as I'm sure we'll get into later, I'm now teaching, um, and, I sort of am able to empathize um, and put myself in the shoes of my students. And I do, I do hold quite a bit of remorse on the sort of student I was. I wasn't mm. like a really naughty student, um, but I, I do think at times I was cheeky and I do I now see the challenges of being a teacher. So if I could change that, I would definitely change a few things. But um, I think on the whole, I like to think that I sort of just was able to get it done and maybe the odd little slip up in behavior, but nothing too drastic. <laughs> didn't we all, didn't we all? Was it, we did, um, did you have, I suppose, any aspirations or any, you know, I suppose at that age, it's, it's such an interesting age where, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of things and, you know, I want to be this, I want to be that. Was there, was there anything that, that you wanted to be at that age that you were aspiring to be? No, it was always a dilemma for me. Um, I'm a big, I live inside my head a lot. Um, as I think a lot of people um, do. Uh, and I was all, always sort of, you know, mum or dad, like, what do you want to be when you're older? So I, like, oh, I actually don't know. Um, hmm. You know, teaching was never on the radar. Going into business was probably never on the radar either. And that was sort of a getting into year 11 and 12. I sort of um, made that decision to to go into business as a bit of a default because that's what my, my, my dad did um, and my eldest brother. So they were both, in that sort of field and I sort of said, well, the writing's on the wall. That's for me. Um, mm. I'll get into business. But in saying that, I, I loved it. I loved studying. That was an elective of mine in year 11 and 12 and I absolutely loved it. Um, but that was just a default. I was like, oh, you know, I'll go to business. That's sort of a, seems like a, a good enough pathway and it would open up opportunities. And um, yeah, that's how I sort of fell into that. And mm. yeah. So throughout your school, you you went to Knox um, Grammar, as you said, and you were in the same year as Greeny, which was kind of cool. Did what about your your sport? Um, or were you not in the same year as Greeny? Yeah, Greeny was actually a uh, a year below me at school. Ah, um, there you go. And we sort of yeah, I guess we just through we played sport um, growing up, you know, through club cricket to rep cricket to grade cricket, and I guess I played a lot with Greeny because he was always uh, the the good cricketer who was who was always you know had um people had big tickets on him and he had big expectations and obviously a big future ahead of him and um he was always sort of playing up you know upper grade or whatnot so i was always lucky enough to play with him but no we were in yeah different year levels um so there's there's something new for you quite something you didn't know about me i I did not know that no i thought you're in the same year so outside of cricket though was was it always sport for for you did you just love it from the start, I suppose, where, where did that passion come from? Was it something you, 
acquired from family or where, where did the passion for cricket or sport in general just come from? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Mum and dad um, weren't, you know, dad played rugby when he was younger and mum was heavily into her tennis and still is into her tennis. But I guess having two older brothers, inevitably you're going to, you got to find something to do. Um, and, you know, the default of maybe these days going on an iPad or, playing a computer game wasn't always an option. There was a lot of Nintendo 64. I do remember that. But um, yeah, lots of backyard cricket and lots of tactical footy. Um, that would just home from school. And usually I was coming off coming off the long run for hours on end when my, my stubborn middle, middle brother Mitchell would just refuse to walk if he nicked off. So um, <laughs> plenty of hours in the backyard. And, you know, from I think club sport, it was so important. I see it now in, you know, building – me and my friendships and, you know, playing club rugby and going to tennis camps and playing club cricket and all those little things. I just see the value they have. And I'm, yeah, super grateful for everything my parents did, you know, you know, as you can imagine, driving me out to cricket games on Saturdays and Sundays and trainings and such big sacrifices, but I, you know, I can see the value in it now. So, so grateful. Yeah, I definitely think as we get to that age and, and even I remember my parents being like, I can't wait till you get your license so that you can actually drive to, to cricket and you can drive to Blacktown and Campbelltown and yeah. and not have to, to go out and do those things. You picked up mm. on something there, which um, I want to explore a little bit because you know, I, I agree with a lot um, with nearly everything you said there, that sport gives you that, I suppose, lessons and teaches you um, a lot of things. Is there, without... You know, fast forwarding all the way because we'll, we'll build up to there. Is there anything that you've sort of acquired or learnt from sport that you can take into your life now or take into other sport, um, whether it be you know leadership or whether it be you know teamwork or community, etc. Is there is there anything that you think you learnt back then? You're like, geez, I am so glad I understood that or I was a part of that. Yeah, I think there's two main things, Clay. That's a really good question. Um, the first one is the friendships you're able to make. Mm. Um, it's really easy to be in your comfort zone and just hang out with your tight knit group of friends at school um, and talk to them around the clock and see them Monday to Friday and on the weekends. But I was lucky enough to, I guess, make friends through cricket, which then allowed me to explore other options, you know, to then go and play for NDs and make more friends from that. And to this day, there's, there's some guys out there who I'm still frequently in touch with who I play cricket with. Um, and they're, you know, they're some of my closest mates. So I think the first one is friendships. Um, you know, you can't, money can't buy friendships and, you know, they they live with you for life and, um, yeah, just exposing you to people who you might not otherwise, I guess, um, associate with. Um, and the other one is, I think, resilience. Um, mm. My, this is something I, I'm really drilling into my year three, four class at the moment is when something doesn't go your way and it's not always going to go your way, you need to get up and, and bounce back and and find a i guess find a solution and my i guess looking back um my first thought is getting a getting a, a you know a golden duck or a duck or a diamond mm. duck and walking off the field and thinking you know oh, cricket's not for me i can't do this like what well, you know why why am i giving up my time i wasn't out um you know the ball didn't carry always finding an excuse and now i look back on that and i'm like that's wasted emotion i think you know you can only control so many things and um things aren't going to go your way and it's just the way i guess you, you bounce back and you can handle that change um is, is all part of character building so that i think and i the first thing that came to mind was how much i used to get upset you know if i failed at cricket or 
something didn't go my way. And I think that's allowed me to sort of um, really hone in on that as a teacher and hopefully drill resilience into, you know, the, the now youth and our future, the future kids. Hey, that's awesome. I love that answer. It's so true. You don't really affiliate like resilience with sport. And then when you actually break it down, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I've probably failed just as much um, as succeeded, particularly in, in cricket, in a sport, which is so isolating at points where it's like one mistake and you're gone kind of thing versus mm. say other team sports where I might have 80 minutes to, to make up for a mistake or, or do something like that. And so resilience in those young kids, that's, that is awesome that you're actually imparting that. Um, onto those kids that's great well, we want to get to I suppose eventually where those kids come into the story because I know it's a really really cool story but you went through school you know you said you were you know there might have been a business focus there what did you do after school did you go straight into university did you go away what was that what was that journey um, from after school after year 12 um, yeah so I was always gonna luckily like I really look up to my my elder brothers Mitchell and Andrew and luckily they went on a gap year, both to the UK, and they said to me, um, this is something you've got to do. And I thought, oh, but, you know, I feel like I've got to get into study and mum and dad as well. I'm really thankful to them. They're like, no, you've got to go, you've got to do it. It's going to sort mm. of give you the life experience. So I went over and worked, applied for a program, our gap program at school, and I was um, accepted at Bradfield College um, in just out of London there. And I did a year there just, you know, doing some boarding support and in-class support and lots of cricket and, um sport and really just i guess an extra set of hands and that was great because it allowed me to set base there work at a school not that that was a sort of um you know a career path i was wanting to take at that stage mm. but it just yeah. allowed me to have a, a base and then, and then travel through europe in the um in the holidays so and exposed me you know i traveled all over europe and it was as an 18 year old you just you're in a different world you're like yeah. what's going on here you know you're seeing lots of different things and I think looking back it was incredible um and allowed me to sort of stop and see the world in it you know in outside the bubble which I'm I guess I'm usually exposed I was usually exposed to going through school and double looking back now um I feel for those you know 17 18 19 year olds now who haven't had that opportunity um you know they, they've probably seen their brothers and sisters and their friends go over you know just be able to book a flight to europe and go the next day and um again that's just the way the cookie crumbles but um yeah Mm. i've got i've got some colleagues at school who don't have that luxury to just go over to europe as they want to and um yeah to have the luxury to travel i guess is great um and to be able to be in a position to travel we need to be grateful that we can do that but um yeah hopefully if it all goes to plan and everything calms down soon around the world, we will be able to do it again. Yeah, I definitely think we're on the right track, which is which is the good thing, and then which we which we want to see. Real side note to there was there one point when you were on that trip or when you're in there, where you saw in Europe or whatever, you were like, wow, this place is just incredible. Is there there one is there one country that was like, oh my gosh, like I, I love this. Um. Yeah, I really liked uh, Prague. Yeah. Um, Prague really stood out to me. And Copenhagen was awesome as well. Um, that was a real spontaneous trip with um, with a couple of my fellow GAP students and um, another mate from Sydney, uh, one of my brother's mates, I should say. And, yeah, just getting around on bikes there. I just love that sort yeah. of, that um, relaxed sort of 
approach to life, you know, just jump on a bike, ride down to the pub, have a beer, get on a bike, go home, just no worries. And that, I think that's the way of life, which I, I've sort of, I've got that sort of way in life in Alice Springs now. It's something which I really enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, sounds awesome to me. Jump on a bike, have a beer. Yep, had me at had me at that. I'm, I'm, I'm sold, <laughs> sold, absolutely sold. So you're in the you're in UK. You're you're doing the the gap program. Obviously, you're going to figuring figuring out what's what's next for for Donnie's. What what was that? Did you did you jump into university or what was it? What was the next step for you? And what did you look to achieve in that? Yeah, I sort of. I think, yeah, as we discussed earlier, business seemed like the, the logical choice. And I, I spent, I actually applied for business before my gap year, got it and deferred. Um, and, but anyway, I came back and studied business at, um, at University of Technology, Sydney, and, um, you know, did the first year, just got through that, was really enjoying uni life, um, was working at BWS. Um, and I sort of got through the first year, and I thought, oh, God, I've got to, gosh, I've got to, um, I've got to choose my, uh, my majors now and that's mm. when I thought it was like oh this is crunch time um, so I was like oh well dad's an accountant my brother started studied accounting I'll do accounting yeah and um, I got into the first like just before the end of the first semester I guess and exam time and I said to dad I said I don't know what I've got no idea this is a different language to me and and i said but i'm gonna knuckle down i'm gonna try and get through this accounting subject and then i'm just gonna change my um my major to you know marketing and and sports Mm. management and then i'll you know that's something which is more of interest to me so i remember like studying absolute house down and i walked out of that exam and i was like i've failed don't want to fail on my record just don't want on my record i resigned the fact i'd failed and i remember hanging out with mum when the results came and i said mum the results are in and I got this text message and it said, pass 50. And I was just, I was just like, I've done it. I've done it. Yes, I've just, sir. I've won. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to that point, you know, dad, I was so thankful to him. He's like, you know, account, it's not for you. And he, he pushed me to finish the subject and then said, do something of interest to you. So, I, you know, inevitably sport was there and marketing was sort of a bit more, I guess, um, enticing for me as well so I, I finished that in that was a three-year degree a bachelor of business um finished that in 20 uh, 2014 or late 2013 before going over to england and and having you know a stint over there playing cricket which um absolutely loved hmm. um and i was pretty keen to go back but um yeah i guess that's when i get to get to um <laughs> Got into my, my work, you know, I got a role in marketing um, through a friend at ND's, um, luckily through Nick Batings. He was able to, meet, you know, his family put me in touch with someone that owned a little tech startup and, and did a year with them. Um, but, you know, that, that was awesome. They gave me such good experience and an opportunity, which I'll, I'll for, forever thank them for, but just didn't, wasn't for me, um, marketing. Yeah. It, um, I feel like I've got a lot of skills from it, you know, which I can even use at school, but just i don't know so there was something there that wasn't quite doing it for me um and i guess yeah long story short i I remember it was disturbing me that i was doing something which i you know as i said i live in my head and i was doing something which i didn't didn't i don't know wasn't liberating enough for me i remember going to coffee with dad one day in neutral bay got the rode the pushy up military road which is a lot different to a push in alice springs and i, I say, that's, sat that's, down that's and, taking your life in your hands that up military road <laughs> that's right in the bus lane as well oh, yeah geez. i probably should have done that um, 
and I, yeah, I looked at dad and sort of did the coffee order and he said, you look like you haven't slept. And I said, I haven't. He said, yeah, you look horrible. He said, what's going on? I said, I just, I can't sleep. I'm up at night. I'm thinking about work. It's not because work was stressful. It was just because I was doing something which isn't, um, wasn't quite doing it for me. And that's nothing against what what I was doing or who who I was working for. They were awesome. It was more that just wasn't suited to me. Um, and I just, I never forget looking at daddy said, quit. I was like, no, nah, I can't quit. And he, you know, and I was in tears at this stage and he said, no, nah, quit. I was like, no, nah, I've got to, I've got to pay rent. I've got to, you know, what am I, I've got to, mm. I've got to work dad. What am I going to do in the future? And he said, who cares? Worry about that tomorrow. And so I thought about it and eventually that's why I went. That was a really hard thing to go in and tell my, my manager and family friend of a friend, this is what's happening. But, um, you know, I, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. I could tell you exactly where I was sitting and my, mm. yeah, that's something I would never, ever be able to thank dad for enough. Yeah. That's an awesome bit of parenting. Like to, to mm. think, you know, that is nearly countercultural in the sense, just quit, you know, just, 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 yeah. just quit. Like, but it's the, the, obviously the, the emotion was so raw and it was so obvious. Um, now I think that the, the thing that I really hear you say there is that you, you gave it a really good crack and that was the best part. It wasn't as if like, nah, it's too hard or like, nah, you know what? Like it's, that works too hard or it's like, nah, like so the actual, it was just more the, the direction and the intention of, and of what you were trying to do just wasn't where you were going. I suppose my, my follow-up question to that is, was there a, a moment or was there something where you were like, nah, like this is definitely not for me or was it, do you think it was just a gradual thing or did teaching or not to well, spoiler alert, we'll get there eventually. Was there, was there an appeal to another area? I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Um, not at that point. And I think that's why I was really stressed out. Hmm. I was, I was just not sleeping. I was working myself into this absolute state about not knowing what I was going to do with my future. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 21. I've studied, I've been through this degree. I don't know where I want to be. I would be exhausted. And I'd go to bed. I remember living with my brother and another mate, Charlie, and I'd go to bed at eight o'clock. I'd be absolutely exhausted. I work night. So I hadn't slept the night before. Could barely keep my eyes open. And then I'd get into bed and then I'd not sleep. I'd just be up. Could not sleep, rolling all night. There's a little party going on inside of my head. And I think that moment, that morning when dad spoke to me, that was when when he could tell that, you know, there's something you're not yourself. You you don't you look a bit of a wreck. Um if I hadn't had that conversation, I could very well still be doing the Monday to Friday grind in Sydney and um, going to Ryan's bar on a Friday night, um, but <laughs> not <laughs> paying, before cricket. Paying, tw- paying $22 for a schooner. Yeah, not before cricket. Yeah, exactly right. no, yeah, no, no. Great that's in the off season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hope Dan, Dan Frederick's not listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Freddie, what another great leader, actually. We're going to get him on yeah. the podcast. He, he is a yeah. legend. Um, we did play a lot of cricket. Um, together Dan and one of the things I knew about you is was that never give up attitude with your bowling whether it was really aggressive bowling even with the bat you know coming in and, and scoring some runs I suppose what's your fondest memories about playing cricket at NDs and I'm going to while you think about that there's something that you and I share um, that not many other people will and I'm going to see if you can if you can guess it but if not I'll I'll, um, I'll let you know at the end but we you and I have done something in our careers that not many others have have done. 
in grey cricket. But what's your fondest memories of, of NDs or just grey cricket in general? Um, I was actually, I've just come home from cricket training. So I played for Federal Cricket Club in Alice Springs, great mm. little local club, really community and junior driven. Um, and I'm riding home, I, I get around on a little posty bike in Alice Springs and I'm riding home with my kit. <laughs> I'm like, I reckon Clates is going to ask me something about NDs here. And I was thinking, um, and I think, I mean, it's this is might be controversial, but I think NDs is the greatest club, and you agree with this, and it's probably biased, but just with their inclusion, um, the way they bring up their juniors, the the, the cultural side of things. I, I, I just remember the cultural side of things. There was always this, oh, well, we lost the game, but let's go back to um, the blue gum or, mm. you know, Christmas party or pub call through the rocks. And I was always like, you know, NDs, such a great club and i have a desire i mean you know i ended up playing for mossman for you know um geography reasons and yeah. I, i'm very grateful for that experience but i'm very keen to get back and don the baggy blue um at some mm -hmm. point i have reached out to you in the past but it's hard to get a game in nds everyone wants to play there and i can't just be some bloke from the <laughs> desert rocking up no training and, and pulling pull on the baggy blue but um you know my fondest memory at nds is I guess there's one negative one. It's losing the pretty very tough ending. We lost the quarter final um, against Fairfield Liverpool at Rosedale and Greenies when we had a seriously, oh. seriously good team and I, yeah. we should have gone all the way. Um, some, let's just say we lost under some uh, rare circumstances. Rare Infamous run word. wasn't it? Yeah. I, I was actually, I think, yeah, I reckon it was... I reckon uh, my memory fails me, but I reckon I got called for four one shorts and we lost by a, oh, one or two runs. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's focus on the positives. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna bring another name. I'm going to name drop here. Smitty, Nathan Smith. And I reckon you, you, you know where I'm going with this. Um, semi-final or quarter-final against Sydney Balmain a couple of years ago at Waitara. We're eight for, or nine for, I should say. Yes. 90 or 100 and Smithy yes. and I Smithy and I put on I don't know I was at 11 Smithy was 10 I reckon Smithy hit 70 odd and I hit 40 odd and we were all out 240 and then that afternoon we got we were bowled out and Taylor Scott came out and bowled absolute rockets and then we went through them yeah to um, this day so that, still the yeah, quickest I don't like to pump up my own tyres yeah no to this day that is still one of the most insane games of cricket I think I've ever played in and probably the fastest I've ever kept to. So for those listening, I was standing from where the stumps are on the circle, which is about about 22 metres. So it was another pitch length back and the ball was coming through to me chest high, waist high. That uh, was insane quick. Like it's the fastest I've ever seen. You're pretty much keeping it... Um... You're pretty much standing at Chookers in Warunga, weren't you? I was pretty much, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I may as well be on the road because, like, if... And I know that they nicked one. Um, was Paul Donovan, one of my mates from uni. He nicked one. And then um, James Packman... No, no, that was... He was from Gordon. Another guy from Sydney nicked one Gordon, to Pete yeah. who caught um, at second slip. And it was going like an absolute rocket. I don't know how he caught it with such little fingers, but he did anyway. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's brought back some memories, that game. That was... Unfortunately, we didn't go on with yeah. it that season. We absolutely gassed it in a well, in a final, which was had a terrible pitch. But you know that was you know, yeah. for, for another time against um, 
Yeah, good old Sydney Uni, who I think were, I think it was their 900th second grade competition they'd won in the last couple of years. So, yeah, wow. Yeah. That was, geez. No, that was, yeah, that's some good memories. Yeah, well, I love, love playing with you. And they're, come on, Donnies, from behind the stumps. I think that's how <laughs> I used to yell that every single time. All right, let's, let's, <laughs> let's move this forward. So, we've gone business. You know, we're, we've had that really, I think, beautiful, transparent, fatherly, loving conversation where it's like, this is not you. This is not where you need to be. What was the process for you to somewhat move out of the business world into where you are now? And, and I'll stop you before we get to Alice Springs because I think that's a really cool story of how you got there. But how did you, in a sense, mold out of the business world into education and, and where you're, you're heading now? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I just remember when I, you know, went through that tough process of resigning and um, I just spent a bit of time just doing little things, going down um, to the beach for a walk, um, getting into cricket training early, those little things which I wasn't able to do when I was working full time. And I really just... I got to a stage where I was like, all right, I've done this for a few months now. And I was I was looking at options to go over and play in um back over and play in England, which is something I loved and I was I was keen to do. At that stage I was uh twenty-two or twenty-three, so still very young. Um and I remember my brother Mitch, he at the time he was living in Alice Springs and he said, Oh, you should come and work as a teacher's aide at a little local private school in Alice Springs. I said, Oh, why would I do that? I don't want to be a teacher. He said, you're not locked into doing teaching. And I thought, nah, you know, that's not that's the path I don't want to go down. Um, anyway, I remember surprising him um, for his birthday um, in Alice Springs previously, like, you know, a couple of months before and going up and surprising him and having the absolute time of my life. I thought, you know what? That is something I could do. Why don't I just go up and do a term there? Um, give it a go. Um, see, you know, see if it's for me. Um, so, yeah, he talked me into it and I booked a flight to Alice Springs um, and worked as a teacher's aide at the school he was teaching at, not in his class, but just in another class. And it just opened a whole new world to me outside of where I've, you know, where I'm lucky enough to have grown up. Um, and I did that for a term or so. And, again, I got to a point where I was like, hmm, don't know about this. Um, so... Yeah, I had a I had a bit of a let's say tough experience at the school with um, just something that went on there, and I sort of said, you know, I think I'm a, a term's good for me. I can't give it my all. Um, I'm so grateful for the experience, but I, I'm going to look elsewhere. And um, it was either there was two pathways. It was either I was actually going to look to play in the Netherlands in Utrecht mm. for a, for a season, um, which is something I would love to do. Probably won't happen now. Or I got offered a job to go and work out in um, a remote community in Central Australia called Laramba. Um, and at the at the time, I was like, "This is a tough, tough, tough decision. Do I go and play cricket? Something I've loved doing. Something I feel like I can still offer um, to and offer myself to and develop, you know, my skills and go and I guess circuit a bit in Utrecht. Um, or <laughs> do I go to Central Australia, um, go and live out in a remote community and see what that's all about and at that point i had no exposure no idea um and yeah i went with the laramba and i went and worked out in laramba which um 
yeah, un, unreal, incredible experience which you can probably struggle to put into words and um mm. yes so so good how did you come to that decision so you said beautifully that there was there was two paths one path nearly looks a little bit easier from what from what i can say you know i can go over to netherlands i can party i can play cricket i can see beautiful parts of you know netherlands and europe and you know that you know you've got the chance to see or i could go to a remote community in desert Australia and go do work there. Like a lot of people would look at that and go, the Netherlands is probably the easier option, probably the better option per se to even put those in words. It's beautiful to, to know your story now. And obviously we'll get to that, but what, what was the actual, I'm going to go to central Australia instead. I reckon, um, the person who offered, so it was a bit, it's, it's an Alice Springs story. You just, it's, you know, it's very laissez-faire in um, recruitment processes and um, it's very small town sort of vibes. And the person that offered me the job sort of, he calls me up and his name's Anthony Murphy. He's heavily involved in the federal football and cricket club. And he says, oh, g'day, Dan, um, Anthony Murphy here. And I was like, yeah, cool. Um, I'm just at a coffee shop can I help you? And he sort of says, Oh, look, there's a, there's an opportunity that's come up in, in Laramba. And I was in working as a sport and rec coordinator. And I thought I said, sport and rec sounds fun, but Laramba, that's what's Laramba. And he said, Oh, that's, it's a remote community about 200 Ks Northwest of Alice Springs. And I thought, I thought, okay, um, can you just leave it with me? Um, I've got to do some research and have a think because this has just sort of rattled me. He said, yeah, no worries. He said, and also um, you should come play cricket at Federal Cricket Club. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, cricket, Laramba, Central Australia, um, you know, everything that I probably didn't imagine, but, you know, it's sort of cricket in Alice Springs and, you know, I can keep playing cricket and then I can go and, um, you know, get some more life skills and expose myself to some things I thought I would never be exposed to and i remember speaking to my brother about it he said go for it so i thought i called him back said right i'll take it where you know when can i come in no i won't take it sorry i'll i'll apply for it when can i come in for an interview and i went in the next day and and had an interview and um sort of just a conversation and yeah i guess the rest was history wow what did you what did you learn from from that time there that you've able to use now Oh, sorry, how long were you there for as well? Was it was it a year, two years, or was it a short period, or how did that um, so process I did, happen? So I did a mixture of roles um, across two years. Um, so I was probably in total in Laramba for about, uh, I guess, cumulative eighteen months um, across a few different roles, and I did six months across two other remote communities in uh, Yulamu, which is eighty k's from Laramba and tea tree which is 200 kilometers north up the Stewart highway um in a you know a range of different roles um and i guess the one thing i was grateful for was to be able to have a, a work-life balance which i probably hadn't been able to achieve in sydney um you know i'd work work my ass off during the week um you know working from 9 10 a.m till 9 p.m at night when the you know with the kids at the record doing sport and rec program and discos and soccer and, and a bit of cricket. And I absolutely love the softball, but I, would, I was able to get into Alice Springs and 
make the 200 kilometer journey to have a hit of cricket on the weekend. So I think mm. for me, achieving that balance um, and still ment- maintaining, not that there's normality out, out bush and out on community, but maintaining what, what is so important to me and that's cricket and, and socializing it and strong friendships. And to be able to achieve that balance, I think was, was one um, very, very important factor in allowing me to, to get the most out of the experience. Awesome. So when you say um, for you know us Sydney siders here who haven't had the chance to go go bush or go out into the the desert per se, when you say remote community, what does that yeah. um, mean to you? Like, is that a is there any certain things that you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm used to this now, or at the start you're like, I can't believe we don't have this, or what does remote community mean to you? Um. Firstly, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is unbelievable landscape. You know, mm. you've got this red dirt and wildlife and camels and emus and kangaroos and snakes and lizards um, and these amazing desert storms. You know, particularly, you know, in the winter, you don't see much rain. It's very, very cold. In the morning and at the night, it gets, you know, down into negative one or one or two degrees Celsius. But, and you, you barely see rain in the, in the winter. It's, Arguably, I always say it's the place to live in the world, best place to live in the world in, in Central Australia winter. No rain, blue skies, six months mm. a year. But in summer, extremely hot. Um, you know, it can get up to to 40, mid-40s, um, and then often you see a change of weather. Not like it is in Darwin, but often there'll be a big sort of dust storm or storm in, at the end of the day and incredible to watch that roll in just this smell of rain and this wind and these twirly whirlies and just this huge black sky coming across the desert is something you could not, you know, yeah, you've wow. got, you've got the ashes at, um, you know, the boxing day test, you've got the world cup <laughs> final watching a storm come across the desert off me, those three, it's a hard decision, Clay, to tell you. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I'm, I'm, that sounds awesome to me. I personally, like I'm a big fan of like, for example, from where I am in Freshie here, watching the southerly roll over. Like I like I sit on the balcony <laughs> and I do that and I go, it sounds like that, but 20 times better. Like <laughs> that, that is awesome. The experiences yeah. that you've had, the experiences that you've had in these little towns and in, in the remote towns and, you know, traveling backwards and forwards and obviously meeting a lot of people including your partner as well and, and doing all that. What is that now? set you up for in Alice Springs. So what, what are you, you now doing? And I suppose what was the, um, yeah, what's the, been the steps and how, how has those things all come to it? Cause you've been in Alice Springs for, for how long now or in central Almost Australia for how long five now? years and five years in April. Yeah. So five years. So April, what, what, yeah. was, what are the, what was the next steps? How are you sort of planted now? I just love like the idea of like the boy from Sydney, Knox grammar now in central yeah. Australia, like, how did that happen? Yeah, it's um that's an interesting one. So I guess I did yeah two years of um remote yeah remote work, and I guess I didn't really answer your question before. So for those that aren't aware, you know, Laramba it's a pretty close community to to Alice Springs Harbour. It's two hundred kilometres. There's some which are you know five, six, seven, eight hundred mm-hmm. kilometres away. Solid dirt driving. Um, if it rains, can't access the community. They're rained in. Um, can't get out. So I guess there's, you know, there's a heap of, the landscape is great, but for those, you know, those country, you know, the Aboriginal people that live on the lands out there, there's so many challenges um, hmm. which they face out there in access to um, to resources, to facilities, um, 
you know, it's, it's a big challenge for, for them out there. And I think that, that, you know, that's what they have so, so much to give these people. Um, and they face so many challenges and that, I guess that resilience, that word resilience, the resilience, which these people, people probably don't realize they're showing is just second to none, super, um, impressive and um yeah with all these challenges which they face day to day um but yeah I, I guess to answer your question before um yeah i did two years out sort of traveling around and being on the road and um i, I sort of thought now's the time i need to think about something else here and not just to pack up and go right i've had i've had my fun out here um i'm going to move on to the next thing it was an extremely extremely tough decision I remember sitting down and telling some of the, the Ramba people, like, look, this is, and I was super anxious about it. I, I sat down and I told them, um, I'm going to, I'm resigning. I'm going to move into Alice Springs. I still see lots of you. I was traveling on visit and I just lost it. I was just mm. like, so inconsolable. And um, yeah, to this day, I remember driving out of the Ramba and I was just like a mess. Um, but I, yeah, I made this, I sort of thought, do I go into community development? Or do I explore teaching? I'd sort of had another taste of working with kids in a different environment. And I'm going to art, I'm going to art. And I was sort of like, all right, I'm going to go down the teaching track and I'm going to study it online. Hmm. Um, and so I started when I was out in Laramba and then I moved back into Alice Springs, um, worked in a, in a different capacity. And then, uh, yeah, across two years, studied full time. I'm sort of just got in and got it done. I am denied about doing it part time, but I just, um, I guess, yeah, got it out of the way and, um, yeah, did my placements. And before I could, before I blinked, it was finished. I was like, goodness, I'm, I'm done mm. here. I've done my placements. I've, I've done my, my theory work and it's real. Like I've got to go into the classroom now and I don't have anyone to help me. I'm on my own. Um, <laughs> which, yeah. That's awesome. So now you're, uh, teaching in a local primary school or what's the setup yeah. there at the moment? Yeah, I teach at Breitling Primary School. So, um, I mean, the, the the commute, I guess, is a bit of a, a deterrent. It's a whole four minutes on the postie. Um, Oof, tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if there's, if there's traffic at the intersection, we're looking at closer to five. So, um, Jeez. Nah, it's, again, that's, you know, everything is so close in Alice Springs. And Breitling Primary School is... Um, you know, I'm super thankful for the opportunity they've given me to take me in as a first-year teacher. And they've got, you know, challenges like any other school. Mm. Um, they've got an amazing um, group of staff that just, you know, work for each other and work for the kids. And I, I feel like I've been incredibly uh, well-supported by, you know, or everyone there in my first um, year of teaching, particularly my, my, I guess, I team teach, my co-teacher, Matt Fay, who's... Um, a veteran of the game. He's been at Breitling for 10 years and he's just been, I was reflecting today. I was thinking if I didn't have Matt, I don't know where I'd be. So um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey this first three terms and I'm just about to get into report writing. And so maybe ask me in a few weeks, Clates, and you might yeah. get a different answer. <laughs> yeah. My missus is currently in report writing as well. So I can, I can understand <laughs> that it's uh, writing generals and writing. Uh, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Miss me on, miss me on that. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> you've you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, Alice Springs being so close. You know, that there's so you know, it's such a good community vibe and the like. And you know, I always love you know seeing your photos and stuff on on Instagram um, and the like. But what what is it about 
Alice Springs. Like if I'm coming to Alice Springs, what's the, what's the thing we're going to go to, you know, what's, what are we going to see? What am, what am I going to feel? What am I going to, I suppose, experience? Um, the landscape, I think, I think mm. people expect they fly in and they fly over like, wow, it's this red center. It's just so red when they're in the air and they get down and it's actually deceivingly, um, hilly. There's lots of like mm. little hill or little and big hill that you go up and you hike up or you go and watch the sunset up and, um, uh, mountain biking, trail running, hiking, um, just going out and watching sunsets, um, camping, um, fires, you know, when you're out camping, um, and just such a like-minded small community here. It's very easy to make friends. Um, everyone's here for the right reasons and there's people from all work walks of life. I, I could go to the local pub and sit down and just people watch for hours and just, mm. I, I've always wanted to like have a beer at the local pub, line up everyone in Alice Springs, all 30,000 people and say, can you give me an elevator pitch about your journey? Because we're all here from different walks of life Yeah, and I would just be, it's super fascinating and I can, I just love going to sit down and have a coffee and just watching the world go by and looking at people and thinking, I wonder, I wonder what brings them to Alice Springs, just like we've all got our own story, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And it's one, one of the uh, capitals that I've yet to have been to. So there's Darwin, Darwin and Alice Springs is the only ones I haven't been to um, yet, which I'm hopefully looking forward to, to getting to one day. Um, it obviously goes without saying, um, Ayers Rock, and you know that being um, a central part, which I it always blew my mind. This is the typical white boy me, not thinking that it's it's outside of Alice Springs, which also a lot of people don't recognise. Um, is you know how would you explain that? You know I look at that and I go, it's one of those things I'm going to see in photos and go, yeah, great. But until I experience it, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to understand what that is. Yeah, you know, do. You, is that the same sort of feeling that, that you have when you when you see it and when you look at it? Yeah, it's um something else. I think all times probably a better word um, yeah. <laughs> for for those cricket people out there. But it's not. <laughs> in all seriousness, it's a, it, it, it's it's an amazing amazing place. Um, it's it's massive. You can see it from you know a hundred kilometers away when you're approaching. It's ten you know ten kilometers to to walk or ride your bike around it and just the way it changes color with, you know, as the day goes by and sunset and the sunrise and it's an incredibly special place. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised with the connection that, you know, the, the, the people on country have out there to it because it's just so sacred and there's not, I don't think there's many things in the world that would compare to it. Um, hmm. And I was, you know, I was lucky enough to um, in the height of COVID last year, I, I just had this impulse idea to jump on a bike with my brother and a mate of mine, Kristen and, and, and bike pack out to Uluru. And it, you know, it's seems like madness and it probably was madness, but, um, you know, over four days of riding 440 kilometers and three nights, it just being out in the open there. And, um, there was no cars on the road. You go there, you know, no COVID you go there and there's, caravans and Winnebago's just mm. fighting for space on the road and we just we're on our own and I don't think it'll ever be like that ever again um it's just everyone wants to see it I'm not surprised because it's just so 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 special and and to be able to share that experience with you know a close friend and my brother was just insane 
Yeah, it's awesome. I remember you know keeping up with that and then following the progress, and that was just awesome to see that you achieved such a physical feat in saying that. But um, I remember even seeing some of the drone footage and the like, and just being like, "Man, this this place is special." Um, last yeah. question, which um, we'll wrap around, and and it's a bit of a, a, a somewhat a selfish one for me, and and let me preface that by saying that um, I've been doing a lot of learning myself around first nation people around um, indigenous and aboriginal australians and they're i suppose the place on the land where i i'm gonna safely say without throwing any of my teachers on the bus i don't think i learnt enough about um our first nations people um in in school and it's something that i've personally challenged myself with over the next period of time to understand it and and episode one with the with the bollums was this exact same question as well, and they're doing a lot of work with the First Nation and um, Aboriginal people up in Townsville. You know, being exposed um, to, you know, First Nation people, Indigenous people, whether it's your sport club, whether it's whatever, what is something that you think that we miss as, I suppose, you know, white Australians that um, we can learn from them? And what's something that um, yeah, you just see in them that you're like, wow, I wish we, I wish we learned about this culture more, or I wish we could adopt something or you know, what, what's those sort of elements? I know it's a, it's a massive question. Um, but yeah, what, what's some of the things that you're seeing being, I suppose, more exposed to it in a, in a higher populated area? Yeah, Clay, that's an awesome question. I think, you know, I grew up in, um, as, a, as we've discussed, a very, uh, privileged, uh, sort of white, um society and i'm very grateful for that and you know thankful for the opportunity i had from mum and dad um and will forever be indebted to them but i think the the one thing we miss is um yeah education in the early years i don't i don't recall um much or if any education about first nations people about location culture language um you know, the whole stolen generation, all that. I don't, I don't mm. recall much of that at all. It may have been mentioned, but it was always a bit of like, oh, we'll mention that, we'll slip that in, but we won't delve into it because it's a bit sensitive. Well, that's not the answer. I think you've got to delve into it and other things can give way in the curriculum. I think that is incredibly important if we want to, to move on um, and to, to reconcile completely, you need to acknowledge, which we have, but other things in the curriculum, for me, I think can give way for you know, for, for teaching our, our future leaders um, the goings-on of the past. Um, and I think, I guess, I think your second part of the question was what can the, you know, the First Nations people give or, um, you know, what what richness they hold? Well, that's, you know, unfortunately this podcast won't go on forever, but I could talk to you about a lot of things that they do hold and a lot of learnings, but just little things about, you know, some of the kids I work with at school, we we the way we um see them or grade them is how they can speak or write in english because that's just you know that's what we teach in but hmm. what i what people don't understand is that these kids can go out bush or go and speak to family in one or english and then aranda walpuri amadura luricha which are all like central australian languages that's four or five languages i i can barely I could barely say hello in another language. So these mm. these people are so clever. It is incredible, and they can co- they they can code switch. So they might speak in uh, what's yeah Aranda, the local language in in Central Australia, and then 
someone from another community might reply in a completely different language in Walpuri, which has got no link. And these people are so incredibly smart and they hold so much knowledge and we, we just have so much to learn from them. And I think, you know, that's why I'm, I'm so lucky to be in the position I am. And I never, I pinch myself every day, the people I work with and the the relationships and the friendships I've built out in, you know, Laramba and teacher in Yulamu, like they'll stab me for life. And mm. I've, I owe these people like so, so, so much. Mate, it's awesome to hear. And, and I love that. And I think hearing the perspective and it's something, like I said, is something I've taken on this year in particular. And I was really challenged by um, some of my mates to, to learn that. I know I personally made a pact with myself that I won't let, you know, if I'm lucky enough to have kids in the future that they will understand um, what I didn't. Um, and I think that's, incredible and when you put it that way man like I, I can't speak another language and so the, the understanding of speaking another three languages plus then trying to learn english and all that like that's an that's an incredible incredible feat uh, like that's a really really good insight and i'm, I'm glad you picked up on that yeah and i'm sorry to cut you off and I, and I think on reflection something i was thinking about just when you asked me that question is there's a big push to learn a second language at school which i think is so 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 important french german uh, Japanese, Chinese, like all these languages are great and it's so good for kids to be exposed to another dialect. But I think incorporating an Aboriginal language local to the place, you know, if you're in New South Wales, you learn a local New South Wales uh, Aboriginal language or, um, you know, for me, the Central Australian um, Aboriginal language. And you get, you know, these people in to teach this language, you empower them. And, you know, even in Alice Springs, there's a bit of sort of lo- learning the local languages, but I think on a on a national scale, if we could make a push for that, that that would make me and I'm sure a lot of other people incredibly proud and happy. Mate, that's awesome. I love that. That's a really, really good way to, I think, answer that question and thank you for your insights there. Mate, we, we've pretty much come to the end, which has been awesome. I've loved catching up with you and chatting with you. Um, just quickly, how are you hitting the cricket ball? Are you hitting them all right or, at the moment? Or are they coming out well or... What are we, have we, have you started your season yet or what's the, what's yeah, the yeah, we, um, we're, we played three 2020s and we're, we're three wins or losses. Um, you'll be happy to know that I still can't turn it off the straight. Um, <laughs> but, but I can, I can hit through the offside, which, um, but yeah, I still loving it. And I think to this day, I, I promise myself if I wake up and turn up on a Saturday and I'm not. You know, I'm not enjoying it or I don't feel it. I won't play because I think, you know, you owe it to yourself and your teammates to give 100% and it's it's your own time and it's valuable to you. So, um, to yeah, if, if I wasn't able to, to commit my effort and my energy, I, I just, you know, would, you know, hang up the gloves and stop playing. But I'm absolutely loving it and, you know, enjoying playing it, you know, in a nice little club in Alice Springs and, and being com- competitive, but, um, you know, playing for fun and, you know, with, with a couple of mates at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. And if you, yeah, exactly, if you're playing cricket for fun and you, you're standing out there in the hot weather and you're still enjoying it, mate, you, you've you got it sold. Mate, could you figure yeah. out the thing that you and I have in common? I, my first thing that came to mind is that we both played every grade. That's, yeah, that is that is one of them. But it's, it's something about a pretty infamous cricket ground in Sydney and clearing the rope and... Hitting a six, maybe on the SCG. Oh, can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, we do have that in common. Yeah, wow. Yeah, Me, but mine you, was actually against, against the trees. 
Exactly. That was the other element against Harry Conway, I think, if my memory serves yeah, me correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have that I'll context. tell you what, and and yeah, we um I reckon we've got and you know, we'll drop his name again, but I don't reckon Greeny's here to bomb on the SCG. So nah. if we could confirm that. Yeah, I'll, we'll ask him. I'll, um, next time I see him, I'll just say, is it true that you have not hit a bomb on the SCG where both Donnie's, myself, and Clinton Witt have? So, Witty. We, Who is yours against, Clayt? Uh Nigel Cowell against Sydney Uni. Yeah, I reckon I closed my eyes and swung and it went over square leg somehow and went for six. Square leg. I, I thought you'd hit over square leg. You're always strong, you know, through square. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a great memory and something that I don't, think i will ever get sad of of telling that's for sure my one minute one it's pretty it is glory. pretty cool if you if you go and sit at the scg and the members and you sort of just visualize yourself out there and you see the crowd and you sort of think you see the deck where the deck was mine was right <laughs> on the edge of the square yeah, and you, you sort of want someone to ask you like you ever here you know any big sixes and you're like well you see that deck over there yeah clear the fence absolutely yeah mine <laughs> just went over the rope but i tell people 10 rows back like it went it went yeah miles, yeah so. yeah but they haven't found the ball yet <laughs> no exactly well mate it has been awesome to catch up talk cricket um and the fact to see your journey has been awesome because like i said i've known you from you know when you were a young fella came through the club and then to see that growth and now to see you in central australia just um you're doing some awesome stuff is great so um, I'm very appreciative that you gave up some time to, to come on and have a chat and um, yeah, looking forward to, to obviously hearing more and, and seeing uh, what goes forward, mate. So thank you so much for coming on the High People podcast, mate. It's been awesome fun. No worries, Clay. Thanks for having me and yeah, keep it up. I love what you're doing and um, yeah, I'm a, definitely an avid listener. So yeah, keep the, uh, the podcast rolling. <laughs>